When your life looks back, as it will, at itself, at you, what will it say? Inch of colored ribbon cut from the spool, flame curl, blue consuming the log it flares from, bay leaf, oak leaf, one among many. Your life will carry you as it did always, with horizontal ribs and upright spine, with its filling and emptying heart that wanted only your own heart emptying and filled in return. You gave it. What else could you do? Immersed in air or in water or in hunger or anger, longing even when running away. What will happen next? The question hinged in your knees, your ankles, the in-breaths even of weeping, strongest of magnets, The future, impartial, always drew you in. Whatever direction you turned towards was face to face. No back of the world existed. No unseen corner, no test, no other earth to prepare for. This, your life has said, its only pronoun. Here, your life has said, its only house. Let, your life has said, its only order. So when you look back at your life, when you look back at yourself, what do you see? What do you, where, what do you, what do you gravitate towards? Where does your mind maybe get hooked? And one of the places that I see, both in myself, but certainly in working with others, is all the places we get hooked that we can't let go, that we can't forgive ourselves, others, or both. Swanny, I was um, two interesting spectrums of forgiveness this morning. So um, uh, this morning, today was the sixth year anniversary of my partner's near death. Uh, she had a very intense bike accident and was in a coma and uh, was thought w- wasn't expected to survive and she survived and um, so she was looking at old photos of her in in a coma and and she remembers the first thing she said when she woke up was I'm sorry to her then husband and you know and that was very that that reflection of looking back on her life was very clear to her in in her coma state of that fine balance she said it was like my heart was on this scale um, of uh, the goodness that I'd done and all the harm that I'd done and it was like my soul was being weighed which is a different mythologies Egyptian onwards different mythologies of how our you know the, the judgment as it were and then I bumped into an old girlfriend I haven't seen for many, many years, and we have a very sweet connection. Um, and uh, and we, we had a very, very lovely uh, relationship, and then for various reasons she had to go to England, and we separated, and it was very, very difficult. And, um, and she said, oh, I've been wanting to say, so I'm sorry for such a long time, because there was certain things that she f- was feeling responsible for that that was and feeling a lot of regret about how that relationship had demised and it was just very interesting to feel that you know and i you know and i i didn't i wasn't i'm not holding anything with with that relationship and with her but um also just just as generosity is an act that goes both ways accepting someone's apology is also a profound way to release, and it's really an offering. So what happens when we look to, the, to our past, to our memories, to our actions, to our hurts, both received and, and done and given to? I was thinking about the um, war and Memorial Day and, and the you know, reflecting on some some literature I'm reading around the Buddha and his his relationships to he had a lot of 
quite close relationship with princes because he was a prince from a princely caste and um, had a lot of dealings with monarchs and and rulers and um, people. And there was a very feudal, warlike, European feudal, warlike state often and was often counseling uh, ministers and kings around the... mm, or counseling them away from taking uh, warlike actions because of the pain and suffering. And it's a beautiful story of, again, this, it's a beautiful story of how when we don't forgive what ensues. So there's a story goes, um, this prince, uh, his name, Prince Vidu Dabar, I think it was, his name is something like that, <coughs> who was, uh, as, a, as a young man, was um, hunting in the terrain of, uh, of the Shakin kingdom, uh, which was a, was a kingdom that they were uh, uh, at war with, not war with, but uh, enemies, and um, was discovered and was not captured, but was basically chased out of the, the grounds and, and somewhat humiliated. And he vowed that when he claimed the throne, that he would go and seek out vengeance for that humiliation, which he did. But he was also a good uh, um, a, a student, but a, a, he took counsel from the Buddha. Um, and so the Buddha heard that he was now seeking to uh, seeking revenge um, against the Shakyan people, and, and the Buddha was from the Shak- Shakya uh, clan. And they were they had um, committed themselves to Buddhist practice where they were committed to non-harming, so they wouldn't put up a fight. And so the shak, so the, the this this king's coming to the Buddha's kingdom, and so he sits under a tree, a ban, uh, uh, um, I think it was a dead tree actually, on the road to his kingdom, his people's land. And the king Vidudaba comes and says, "Why are you sitting under this de- dead tree rather than this beautiful banyan tree, which would offer you shade?" And the and, and the Buddha says, "My my the goodness of my people offers me plenty of shade." And basically was was saying, "Don't come and cause this bloodshed." And so the king retreated actually, um, but later. Um, sent his armies to attack and basically slaughtered the whole population uh, of, the, of the town. But that's really an aside story. <laughs> but the point is, when we don't forgive, when we don't let go, when we're caught up in hurt, identification around egoic humiliation, pain, wrongdoing, I've been sent fair, was wrong, and then we act out. Anybody done that? <laughs> Anybody not done that? <laughs> Where we get hurt, and sometimes we get a sort of slightly perverse pleasure from thinking about, you know, seeking vengeance, and sometimes acting it out, even though we know when we act it out, we will at, su- at some point feel remorse and pain, and 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 in our own embarrassment sometimes, or humiliation, or horror that we actually did that, calculated, cold, acting out. And then we look at the world stage and we see what happens, you know, just as back in the Buddha's day, 2,500 years ago, we haven't come very far. You know, look at the religious wars, the wars in Rwanda and Serbia and Croatia where there's old feuds and old nationalism, pride, history from either the beginning of the First World War or going back hundreds of years in Rwanda between the Tutsis and the Hutus and the bloodshed that courts caused and the, la- the lack of an ability to see another as a human being and to en- enact vengeance. Hmm, you could look at the whole history of um, the last several thousand years of human culture and uh, the the inability to let go and forgive and the reenactment and the re-sowing of pains, the cycle of samsara the Buddha talked about. But this today I want to look more at uh, just a personal orientation to to forgiveness and particularly our relationship to the past in terms of ourselves and others 
and how we hold that and how we carry on the cycle of uh, distress and pain or wounding. And I've always appreciated Jack's, I'm not sure if this is Jack's original line, but he certainly says it, so I'm thinking it is. He says, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. Giving up all hope of a better past. How many meditations have you spent trying to fix your past? (laughs) Trying to redo it so it's not so painful, not so difficult, not so embarrassing, not so humiliating, not so, just as, you know, silver line it in some way because it's hard to sometimes live with what's happened, our own actions, the actions of others. This is from Donitsky who says, forgiving is rediscovering the shining path of peace that at first you thought others took away from you when they betrayed you. So sometimes, often, what the lack of forgiveness does is we give our own peace away. We give our own peace of heart and mind away because we can stay stuck in a certain hardened, righteous, vindictive place. And at the same time, you and, and this, this people that you know and, and famous examples of you know, the capacity for, for, for us to let go and to forgive is tremendous. There's so many stories that I've read and heard, people I know, and just, you know, whether it's the Tibetan people who've, you know, we had a monk here, I forget his name, uh, Lama, who had been imprisoned for, I think, 19 years or 27 years or some just inconceivable amount of time, incredible hardship. An incredible amount of beatings and 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 torture and and privation, starvation, um, and through the power of his practice and many of his other fellow monks and nuns, didn't harbor hatred, didn't harbor vengeance, didn't harbor self pity. Actually, used it as a place to practice compassion. I find that almost inconceivable, <laughs> but. There are thousands of, and I've heard this story over and over and over, of of people who've been through those desperate conditions and were able to get out of their own way and to see, oh, these people who are inflicting this suffering are actually causing more suffering to themselves and should be worthy, therefore, of my compassion. So next time somebody cuts you off on the freeway or takes your parking space or sends you a nasty email, all the various minor slights that we experience, you know, people don't return calls or they're rude or usually acting out of some kind of, you know, delusion, selfishness or aversion or, you know, mild, it's pretty mild. Can we say, oh, coming from a place of suffering, may you be free of Distress. May I be free of distress. Please take the parking spot. <laughs> Please take the credit for that project I worked on really hard for didn't get any praise. <laughs> Not as easy as it sounds, but good to practice with the small stuff. You know, just those little places that we get tight, that we get contracted. You know, the shootings in Charlotte back, was it last year, two years ago? Charlotte, Charlottesville, Charlotte, Virginia. Remember that? 13 people killed in a church. And then the next day, they're on being interviewed by the media saying, we forgive. We hold this person in love. Just, again, tremendous capacity to step out of the individual loss and pain to see the bigger picture, to find that greatness of heart that we have as our human nature, not always available. It's why we practice, why we study, why we cultivate these qualities. You know, great figures in history, you know, the Gandhis and the Martin Luther Kings and the 
people who walked through years and years of apartheid, for example, years and years incarcerated and oppressed, and is able to come out not seeking vengeance, but seeking reconciliation. Amazing capacity of the heart to endure and to, and to let the wisdom and, and love guide, not vengeance. And when we don't let go, what happens? We, we carry it around. We carry the hurt. How many hurts have you carried around for a long time? Like decades. I mean, sometimes we carry these kernels of woundedness and hurt and betrayal. For I was just talking to a friend of mine, I was having dinner with him last night. And um, his father left when he was five. And he'd heard a story from his mother about what went on. And, he's, and he had held that hurt and pain and re- abandonment and rejection for a good 35, 40 years. You know? And then found out the truth of the story. And he realized all that time he's been harboring this seed of hatred and aggression and hurt that was really unnecessary. And they were able to put it down, able to see from another vantage point. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Right? So we, with forgiveness, we set our own hearts free. Right? We're the ones who put us in captivity. We have that power, and we have the power to set us free. Anybody carrying stuff like this? Anybody carrying stuff that they're not finding hard to forgive and let go? And right? some, yeah. And the story of the two prisoners being released, prisoners of war, prisoners of—I forget exactly how the story goes. For many years, incarcerated wrongfully, I think political um, prisoners of conscience, political prisoners. And then one years later, one asked the other, so have you forgiven your captors? And the other one says, no way, those people unfairly took years of my life. And the other person says, well, I still have you captive. You're still not free. So what, what, do you th- what happens when you think of forgiveness? What are the, what's the sense? Do you feel like forgiveness is like weak or not standing up for yourself or allowing injustice to go on? Because that's none of those things. It's not passive. It's not condoning harm. We're not trying to ignore pain that happened. Gandhi talked about forgiveness as being a courageous thing. Only Only the strong can forgive, the weak cannot. So out of compassion for ourselves, actually, for the pain that we carry, we turn towards seeing if we can release some of the hurts that we're carrying, some of the ways that we're holding ourselves bound with, with anger, with hurt, with hatred. I remember when I was first I was hoping to get ordained in this Buddhist order that I was uh, studying with in England. And um, they, uh, it was a very difficult process. And one of the, one of the I, we had to give public talks and, and um, not exactly being tested, but kind of. Um, and uh, so I was, I was like, I was young. I was like maybe 19, 20. And I was completely terrified. I didn't quite know what I was doing, but I liked these people, and I thought ordaining was a good thing to do, and I felt very committed, and so I would sign up for everything that was part of it, including um, sharing stories and giving lectures, and uh, even though I really was clueless about what Buddhism was at the time, but anyhow, one tries, especially when you're 20, you think you know a lot. <laughs> so I gave this lecture, and you know, it was what it was, and... Um, and then this, what, the, the person who I was studying with, a preceptor, you could say, 
he just totally destroyed me in the talk publicly in front of about 50 of my, by then, friends and peers. And I was, it was kind of vulnerable, and, um, and I'd really given myself over to this group and really kind of trusted them, and, and then to be publicly humiliated uh, and um, attacked in a certain way was very painful and very disorienting and confusing and uh, very betraying, actually. I put a lot of uh, trust in this person, and um, for some reason... He felt like he needed to take me down a few notches, which he did. Um, but I, I and then I, I actually ended up leaving that organization for various reasons, and including that. And I noticed how I just stayed with me, like his his vicious attacks and um, humiliation, as these things do when we when we when we when we you know torn apart publicly. And I hated the guy, and I'd go on these retreats, and I'd be doing loving kindness, except to him. <laughs> may all beings be happy except him. <laughs> Rotten hell. But may you be happy over here, <laughs> except you. <laughs> Never. <laughs> you know, and every now and then I'd like, oh, God, I suppose I'll try. And it's like I just couldn't. Like, just this this block in my heart. Like, I, I wanted him. I hated him. And then I was on this long retreat. It was years, like ten years after, probably at least ten years, about ten years. And I'm do- on this long meta retreat. You know, weeks and weeks of loving kindness. May all beings be well. And may I be well. And and it was clear to me that I, this 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 hateful relationship. Like he just he held this str- quite big place, not big, but significant place in my psyche, of like this this betrayal. And but. What happened through the meta practice? I, I just saw how painful it was to hold that, and something in this, you know, I, I regard wi- meta practice, loving kindness practice, as a wisdom practice, in that it sees the ways the heart is closed, and we sees how that closed is painful, and fearful, and unhelpful, and there was something about just come just day after day doing this practice, something shifted, and I was actually able to generally say. Even you. <laughs> May you be well. May you, you know, not hurt anybody anymore because you know, cause any more harm. And may you be okay. Swine. No, may you be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to see him again, but I'm sure at this point if I see him I will feel you know there'll be a, you know, it's gone. That 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 that, that stone softens. And then we, we lighten up, you know, we lighten up the burdens of the heart. The, one of the beautiful things about the heart practices, love, compassion, joy, is that we see all the ways that we've put corkscrews in the heart. We, we've, we've dampened it, we've shut it down through hurt, through pain, through betrayal, through loss. And it's our own heart that shrinks. So it's we're the ones that carry that pain. A beautiful line from Mark Twain. He says, "Forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that crushes it." Isn't that beautiful? That even in the the, the crushing, there's some sweetness in the heart that leaves a flavor on the person that did the destruction. That love is that powerful that somehow it's contagious even in the the destruction. And I often wonder, you know, like for you know like in the in those prisons in, in, in Tibet, say, where they have many monks and nuns practicing, you know, and there's a lot of cruelty and harshness and, and the very nature of the incarceration system leads to that sense of Dehumanizing of both inmate and and, uh, and and jailer, and I still wonder, you know, what fragrance the violet leaves on those guards who are crushing the flowers of the Tibetan people. Hard to know. 
but I always think something must wear off. Just as the, the people, the, the gods, you know, that Nelson Mandela um, befriended in Robben Island, um, I know I've read stories of them being very touched by his dignity and his um, wisdom and other qualities. So one of the reasons we don't you know, sign up for the forgiveness is because it also requires that we have to walk through, we have to really open to and feel the various tender, sore, achy, vulnerable, helpless, wounded places that we feel. You know, that might be very, very old, might be from when we were very young as a child. It might be in our last relationship or friendship that went sour or someone that died that we loved and we feel betrayed by their loss. Or some work colleague who screwed us over in some ways. I mean, we have to feel, we have to look at that, we have to hold that tenderly to see the, both the pain and also the contraction that we've created around the pain, the armoring that keeps it at bay. And it requires that the, the moving through the pain and the releasing requires that part of us has to die. Part of our identity of the person who was wounded or victimized by whatever events that we're suffering from. This is from Marlene Dietrich. She says, once a woman has forgiven her man, she must not reheat his sins for breakfast. <laughs> once a woman has forgiven her man, she must not reheat his sins for breakfast. Yeah, that's, you know, that's how we are forgiven a little bit. We, you know, we forgive a little bit and then you know, we kind of, whatever, wait a minute, I'm not letting you off that lightly. <laughs> Because we, we fear getting hurt again, and, and of course that can happen. So in terms of forgiveness, like in your life, and maybe this is not you know, relevant for some of you, but for some of you, probably most of you it is on some level, when, when that, the, the theme of forgiveness comes, what comes to you? Where, where in your life is in need of forgiveness? And I think usually the first place and primary place is with ourselves the place that we're most hard, most harsh, most unforgiving of our faults and our foibles and the things that we've regretted doing, saying, in relationship, parenting, with family at work, in sexuality. I mean, just many ways that we've, you know, we've done and said things that aren't so great. We're human. It's part of being human. And ways that we've treated ourselves. I mean, how many ways that you have been really unkind to yourself, cruel, harsh, judgmental, mean, you know, pushing, punishing. Right? So often the first place we need to forgive is the, is, the, is the way that we are with ourselves. Not to let ourselves carry on doing that stuff, but to forgive ourselves for the humanness and for the fact that we le- usually learned that stuff from people around us. You know, we just absorb whatever the, the mode is, right? Family, friends, teachers, parents. So letting, let, letting go, forgiving ourselves for decisions that we've made that we're maybe still regretting. Anybody not regretting a decision they made <laughs> about a relationship or about money or about work or about career or about family? And we let in the pain of that and, and soften around that. And the past is done. Right? Let it, letting go of all hope of a better past means we have to surrender to what, what was, to surrendering to we did the best we could, however foolish it might seem now. Right? The critic that I just spent, finished writing a book about has t- perfect 2020 vision will remind you of all the stupid, ignorant, foolish things that you did, all decisions you made that now seem really silly. You didn't know at the time. You did the best you could. The person that you fell in love with, you realized was a complete maniac, at the time seemed like a great person. (laughs) You know? 
good press release, nice Facebook friends, you know, and then who knows? You never know. Psychopaths and all. So forgetting, forgiving ourselves for our actions, for what we haven't done. You know, sometimes you know, I hear people chastise themselves because they didn't start meditating early enough. And it's like, only, if only I'd started 20 years ago, why didn't I? Well, you probably would have hated it. <laughs> or whatever. You know, you, we are where we are. You know, it requires a radical acceptance. You know, I, what I love about life and Dharma teachings is, is, is it, bl- it blends and bleeds. So, you know, forgiveness requires a radical letting go, requires a radical surrender to what is to the truth of how life unfolds, you know? It was what it was, it is what it is. Can we forgive ourselves now for our future mistakes? Because <laughs> we'll make them, you know, we're human, till we die, you know? This is, I was talking to a yogi, to a student, meditation student about forgiveness, and she said, when we are not forgiving others, we close our hearts to them, to the beauty of who they are, and so we need forgiving for our own contraction. For the ways that we close. So forgiving ourselves, forgiving others. This is a great line from Oscar Wilde. He says, always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. <laughs> always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. Try it sometime. <laughs> They're like, what? I thought you hated me. I don't know who you are if you don't hate me. I don't know who I am if you don't hate me. So how do we forgive others that have hurt us? You know, one, again, again, the way these practices blend so mindfulness is the building block for empathy, which is the building block for kindness and compassion. The more that we can see ourselves and others, the more that we can see that we're not that different. The more that we see we're all struggling, bumbling along from one mistake to another as a human being. That's called being human, being alive. You know, often when we when we we feel vindicated in, in our hurt, we make the other other. Well, I wouldn't treat someone like that. I wouldn't say something like that. I wouldn't do something like that. But if we think long and hard enough, we can probably see the ways that we may have done something not dissimilar. But it also requires a certain um, yeah, capacity to stretch in seeing someone's humanness. And I was reading this beautiful, there's a beautiful book called The Compassionate Life. It's by a journalist and a meditator. And he writes a story of this, um, he's, he's, he's exploring forgiveness and he can't quite understand how people forgive like really intense things. So he interviews this man whose beautiful daughter, uh, she, I think she was in her 20s or 30s, was brutally uh, murdered and raped um, by a man who was uh, uh, on crack. And um, so he goes to the trial, and uh, and then begins to visit the person, the the man, the the murderer of his daughter. And you know, and this and this and it be, began a very long uh, relationship with this person. First, feeling uh, the realness of the loss and the burning hatred and intolerance of this person. But being uh, a man of faith, um, knew also this was a test for him to see how he could not close his heart, how he could actually see the humanity of someone so uh, 
so robbing him of his beautiful daughter and his love of his life in a way. And so the story just recounts his various interactions of going to visit him, of sending him money for cigarettes, of um, helping him, uh, you know, get health care and, and medicine. And um, this is an amazing story. And it wasn't like, oh, I suddenly l- love you. And like, no, he really despised who this person, or what this person did, but didn't re- throw the person out, didn't throw the person away. It was an incredible story. And many, many others like that. Actually, Jack has a story. I'm sure he's read it here, but I'll read it here in an English voice as opposed to an American voice. Um, I think this is in, I forget which book this is from, but it's always struck me as this, again, just the tenacity of human nature. A young child, 14 years old, who wanted to get into a gang, the way he approved himself to get into the gang was to shoot someone. It was an initiation right. He shot the kid he didn't know. He was apprehended, brought to trial, they had the trial, convicted. Before he's taken away in handcuffs, the mother of the boy who was shot stands up, looks him in the eye and says, I'm going to kill you, and then sits down. After being in prison for a year or so, the boy is visited by that mother and he's kind of frightened. She says, I've got to talk to you. They have a little bit of conversation. As she leaves him, she says, do you need anything? Like cigarettes, money, and she leaves him a little cash. She starts to visit him. She goes every few months, and over the course of three or four years, she starts visiting him more regularly, talking to him. When he's about to get out at the age of 17 or 18, she asks, what are you going to do? And he says, I have no idea. got no family, no nothing. And she says, well, I've got a friend who has a little factory. Maybe I can help you get a job. So she arranges that with a parole officer. Then she asks, where are you going to stay? And he says, I don't know where I'm going to go. And she says, well, I have a spare room where you can stay with me. And so he comes and stays in the spare room, takes the job, and after six months, she says, now listen, we need to talk. Come into the living room and sit down. She looks, him at the in, she looks at him in the eye and says, remember that day in court when you were convicted of murdering my son for no reason at all to get into your gang, and I stood up and said, I'm going to kill you. Yes, ma'am, I'll never forget that day, he says. And she looks back and says, well, I have. You see, I didn't want a boy who could kill in cold blood like that to continue to exist in this world. So I set about visiting you, bringing you presents, bringing you things, and taking care of you. And now I let you come into my own home and got you a job and a nice place to live because I don't have anybody anymore. My son is gone and he was the only person that I was living with. I set about changing you and you're not that same person anymore. But I don't have anybody and I want to know if you want to stay here. And so the story goes on. And again, to me, almost inconceivable that someone who lost someone so precious could find that place in a heart to let go. Possible. There's a um, Sangha member here, I'm sure some of you know, because he's brought some of his amazing uh, students from, from San Quentin, who's part of the, who's founder of the Insight Prison Project, Jacques Verdun. And he tells this beautiful story of when he's uh, with a, in a circle of inmates, and this is a particular program where he's pairing up older and younger uh, inmates, so they have so the younger inmates have a mentor, and they're talking about suffering and pain and and some of their their uh, their life stories and and. I forget exactly the context of where, how this came out, but it, as they were checking in, one young man says, um, you know, I really get it. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Clearly seeing perhaps his own hurt and his own hurtful actions. And his mentor came in and said, and healed people, heal people. Healed people, heal people. So when we carry around that hurt, when we carry around that wound, hard for us to let go. Easy for us to reenact, to repeat in a certain way. 
So, so the meta practice, I think, is a really powerful way of, uh, as I said, it's a purification practice. So it's a way of rubbing up against the places where our heart is closed, tight, shut, fearful, angry. Because right? you, st- you try to wish someone well and happiness, and you're feeling betrayed or hurt or something, that, or there's some friction in the relationship. It's hard to wish them well. Right? We feel like mm, there's a little recoil, there's a little... Mm-mm-mm. So one way, one beautiful way of opening the heart is we we, is we, 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 we invite people that we're challenged by, invite people that we're hurt by. Again, it, this is not saying we're going to suddenly be best friends and have them over for tea. We may never want to see this person ever again, but we want to be free from the constriction in our own heart. And that's why we cultivate loving kindness that's boundless. We cultivate compassion that's boundless. We cultivate forgiveness that has the capacity to let go of those who've hurt us in different ways. So maybe we'll just do a little practice before we close, and then I'll tell you the Warriors score. No, just kidding. (laughs) So let's just find a meditation posture, sit upright. And so one of the ways to do forgiveness practice is to um, reflect on the ways that you've um, hurt others, the way that you've hurt yourself, and the way that others have hurt you, and you ask and offer forgiveness. So I'll read some phrases. And the last line of the phrase is I ask or I offer forgiveness as much as I am able to in this moment. So that's the important line. I offer or ask for forgiveness as much as I am able to. So just like any practice, it usually takes a while. Yeah. Sometimes we call something to mind and there's a, there can be a letting go, but usually it takes some tenacity to come back and back and back to different places, different situations, different people. So, sitting comfortably, closing your eyes, just take a moment to feel your heart. Maybe put your hand on your heart, feel your breath in your heart center. Extending some loving kindness to yourself. And then as I say these phrases, just reflecting for yourself how these words land. For any ways that I have caused harm to myself, knowingly or unknowingly, by what I have done or have not done, by what I have said or not said, by what I have thought or not thought, because of fear or anger or confusion or hatred, I ask for forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. Any way that I may have harmed myself knowingly or unknowingly, by my words, by my thoughts, by my actions, coming out of fear or anger or hatred, I ask forgiveness to myself as much as is possible in this moment. I ask forgiveness or I offer forgiveness to myself as much as is possible in this moment. I'm just calling to mind ways that you may be harsh, cruel, unkind, See if there's a way that you can 
hold that with compassion and offering yourself some forgiveness. Moving on, for any ways that I've caused harm to others, knowingly or unknowingly, by what I have done or not done, by what I have said or not said, by what I have thought, out of my own fear, anger, confusion, I ask for your forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. So in whatever ways I've caused pain, harm to you, to others, knowingly or unknowingly, by my words, by my thoughts, by my actions, I ask for your forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. Sensing your breath, calling to mind ways you may have harmed, and asking for forgiveness. for ways we have acted unconsciously, hurtfully. Lastly, for any ways that I've been harmed by another, knowingly or unknowingly, by their thoughts, by their words, by their actions, what they said or didn't say, what they did or didn't do, out of their own fear or anger or confusion, I offer forgiveness to you as much as I'm able to in this moment, as much as is possible in this moment. Whatever ways I've been harmed by others, knowingly or unknowingly, by their words, thoughts, actions, I offer forgiveness, however painful, however difficult, I offer forgiveness as a way of releasing myself and the other person as much as is possible in this moment. Lastly, just extending loving-kindness to yourself. With these phrases, may I be healthy and strong. May I be happy and peaceful. May I live with freedom and ease. and offering that same kindness to others. May you too be healthy and safe, be happy, peaceful, live with freedom and ease.
So I have a teacher that um, will remain lame, nameless who I teach a lot of loving kindness with. And I often say, we should do forgiveness practice on the retreat. She says, no, 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 it always brings up so much stuff and people think they all these old wounds. And blah, blah, blah. So if that's, if you're noticing that, you know, sometimes it drags up old things. You know, oh yeah, that person, I am still really pissed off with them. <laughs> you know, no like with anything, it's a practice. But it's also, you know, powerful. There are words are powerful. Our mind is powerful. And, um, you know, just like the loving kindness, the compassion practice, the may you be well, may I be safe, right? These words have a certain potency. So these phrases, these, these forgiveness phrases, can really start to sort of unravel sometimes some of these knots that we carry if we do it with it, with it, with this intention, clarity, kindness. So, um, thank you for your attention. Yes, nice to be with you. And next time we'll be, well, the next time I'm here, we'll be over there. I think I'm teaching sometime in June. I forget when exactly. But come on Friday. I'm teaching a day on love. We'll be cultivating radiant, boundless love. Be beautiful. So what's not to like? New hall, lots of love. So very lovely to be with you. Be well, be safe, be happy, be free. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.